Man, Corona reminds me of drinking beers that normal people drink. This is gross. <laughs> like, it's just kind of like drinking water. Yeah. Oh. We're going to drink them. All right. We're going to drink them and talk about this goddamn movie. Do you do the stare and drive? He learned that from me. And welcome to this supplemental reading of 2003's Too Fast, Too Furious. My name is John. And I'm Wheelman Henry, back on the wheel once again. And uh, we are here this week continuing uh, the trend that we have set of reviewing uh, not every, yeah, every single Fast and the Furious movie in the franchise. Uh, once again, you thought we were kidding. And boy, were we not. Yeah, we are, we're too deep so far, so we were not kidding. We're too deep in that, we're two movies deep, and also we're 14, and everything we say is really deep. Do you think that, uh, there's gonna come a time when our listeners will think, surely this is the last, this is the la- this is the punchline of the joke? Do you uh, think this is the one where people will be like, they were kidding? I think if they've listened to every episode so far, They've realized we don't know how to write punchlines, and we keep just going on and on until one of us or the other moves on to a different topic, and then the other one tries to circle back on the topic to try to get closure, but I think there's no closure in this world. Yeah, there's no closure in this world, uh, so I think that's a good enough jumping off point to start talking about. Too Fast, Too Furious now, uh, on a Zero's Credit Supplemental Reading. Traditionally, we will spoil the movie with Reckless Abandon. This movie was released 15 years ago, so, uh, it's pretty silly for, for you to, for you to not have seen it. I mean, I hadn't seen it, but. It turns out I hadn't seen it either. I thought I had, but I've never seen this movie. Uh, amongst my friends that I surveyed, it's the least popular one in terms of people who have seen it. It had like a 36% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. That is uh, kind of low. Definitely. And, and we'll talk about that. But in this supplemental reading, as in all supplemental readings, we will talk about the plot, the characters. This time, however, we will not summarize the entire plot because that burns up an episode and is not, I learned, entertaining. Yeah, we... we... Look, I think I've said this in person a number of times. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast. Just like the series we are reviewing, we are going to get better at this with each iteration. So the first iteration, it was very slow and plotting and poorly paced. Mm -hmm. And in this iteration of the supplemental reading of Too Fast, Too Furious... One of us will disappear and be replaced by another guy who is, uh, better. So, uh... With that being said, I'm going to leave, and I'd like to w- welcome Tyrese. <laughs> yes, oh my god, if we get Tyrese. Uh, can we pull, like, a you talking you two to me and at the very end interview Tyrese? That would be wonderful. I did not reach out. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> why you know, would I have? There's, there's always next week. So this movie, uh, Too Fast, Too Furious, as we covered in uh, the Fast and the Furious episode, Rob Cohen, the original director, jumped ship, jumped car. Yeah, he, he, he left Pizza Man. He, yeah, Pizza Man left the, uh, the first movie with an open ending, mm-hmm. and then he left that open ending 
super open by not touching another Fast and Furious project for as long as he continues to live. And then, of course, we had the, uh, the interquel, the, uh, turbocharged prequel to Too Fast, Too Furious, Which, directed uh, by, I don't know, some guy who directed some music videos and eventually directed the Jason Statham movie War, which is very bad. A little fun fact for you, the writer for the characters of that Too Fast, Too Furious prelude was a writer on this movie, and his name, for the record, is Gary Scott Thompson, and I don't know how you get a writing credit for the characters in that short... Because they didn't have any dialogue. <laughs> They're actions, man. Uh, so Gary Scott Thompson, you said? He's one of the two writers. He handles the characters in this movie. I believe that Gary Scott Thompson's name will appear again in Spider-Man Homecoming. No, I mean in the future <laughs> of the supplemental reading series. It will. I won't spoil it now, but I'll go ahead and say it's every single Fast <laughs> and the Furious movie yeah. from here on out. Even the two, two count them. Two announced sequels to Fate of the Furious. So uh, he's involved, and the director of Too Fast, Too Furious, who took over for Rob Cohen, I think, when I saw the name in the credits, I did not look this up before, and I was blown away. I could not believe the director they got for this, because it's John Singleton. If you've never heard of John Singleton, he's famous for pretty much one movie, and that's Boys in the Hood. That's his first movie. But John Singleton, traditionally, at least in the 90s, was pretty was pretty famous, 90s and early 2000s, for directing kind of coming-of-age hood tales, like hood tale dramas. Uh, so Boys in the Hood, but then in the early 2000s, I think, he also directed Baby Blue. Baby Boy? Baby Boy. Let me see. Baby Boy? Baby Boy. Not Baby Blue, Baby Boy. And uh, so he does kind of like heartfelt, like, family and friend dramas, and then they brought him on for Too Fast, Too Furious, and he brought with him, uh, from Baby Boy, Tyrese Gibson, an R&B singer that he had cast in Baby Boy. That, that ex- okay, that's, that's kind of neat. I'm, I'm glad there's a, a story behind the, in- the inclusion of Tyrese, because walking into this movie, I, I know the title, Mm-hmm. And I know the series. You know the awful, awful title. The awful, awful title and the very acclaimed series. Yeah. And I know a few things about Fast and Furious, the, the series as a whole. There's Cars. Uh-huh. There's Paul Walker. Yeah, for sure. And there's Vin Diesel. All right. So I walked into the movie thinking... Expecting these three things. Expecting these three things. Like, it's, if you go to a, any James Bond movie, you expect British people, guns, and James Bond. Now, we take James Bond away... What do we got? Yeah, you just have evil people. You have a chance for the guns, in this case Paul Walker, to really develop as a character, which is, this is a unique opportunity, because in the first movie, uh, let me know if I'm going on too much. No, you're fine. In the first movie, Paul Walker is overshadowed yeah. <laughs> immensely by by Vin Diesel, by Michelle Rodriguez, like all of these actors with, with a past, with, with titles mm-hmm. behind them. And then, like, his character, I don't know if this was the direction or Paul's choices, would just, his entire thing was laughing and smiling without actually really rebutting. Yeah, he did not have a a lot of dialogue. He wasn't really, like, a dynamic character. Now, the interesting thing about the script to Too Fast, Too Furious, 
two interesting things about it. Uh, the first one that I will say is there are two scripts written for Too Fast, Too Furious. The wow. first one was written. They really doubled everything in this they, movie. They did. Two, it's Too Fast, Too Furious, two scripts. Yeah. Uh, the two scripts, the first one was written assuming that Vin Diesel was willing to come back for the sequel. And he, turns out... He did not come back for the sequel. The second one was written assuming that Vin Diesel would not want to return. Because at the time, in the early 2000s, Vin Diesel was kind of in high demand in Hollywood. Well, yeah, he was doing, like, Triple X. He was all over. Triple X, Riddick, he was Pitch all... Black, rather. Well, yeah, at that time it was Pitch Black. Voice acting for the video game The Chronicles of Riddick Escape from Butcher Bay. You know, all of these things. Really in high demand. Yeah. And he's, this was sort of the, the beginning of the dissolution, if you will. Yeah, this this was the beginning of the dissolution. Now, of course, you know we live today in the dissolution of the dissolution. Of course, yes, the uh, the dissemination of the yeah. dissolution of the dissolution. However, we've mentioned something that I noticed while I was watching. Mm-hmm. In true sequel fashion, they ra- they raised the stakes almost immediately. And you oh. wanna, you want to know how? How? They ha- they do a race, and the mm-hmm. buy-in for that race is nearly double the buy-in of the race for the first movie. In the first movie, it was all 2,000. 2000 all the yeah. racers had in- increments too, of 2,000. Too grand. Too big. And the first race we see in Too Fast, Too Fierce, not only does this happen in the first, like, five minutes, mm-hmm. so we get to the race faster, but also, it's 35 large. It's 35 large. Huge! That's like 1.2 times more. And uh, the interesting thing uh, about that race is uh, it kind of sets the tone for this film, which is it is, in general, um, I'd want to say, and this is just being maybe, this is being conservative, infinitely more interesting than the previous movie in terms of the amount of races, fights, dialogue, relationships... It actually feels really fleshed out. Now, the second thing I was going to say about the script, because they did have the two scripts, one Vin Diesel, one without. Uh, the second thing that I want to kind of bring up that's going to hang over this movie for a couple things that we're going to talk about. The first movie definitely had some dialogue in it. Oh, yeah. You know, there's I'm in your face, and there's are you a wheel man? Yeah, you know, there's fat burger guy. They, they had a lot of hokey stuff that... Gave it some charm, mm-hmm. but ultimately probably held it back. So they actually did something in Too Fast, Too Furious. Maybe John Singleton did it. Maybe it's a, the fault of the script. But this is a trend that continues from Too Fast, Too Furious all the way to the most recent movie. Fate. Huge swaths of the dialogue in this movie are purely improvised. Now that's really interesting. It's not... It's not like amazing impro- improvisation like Ghostbusters or whatever. Yeah, but, but, look, like, okay. I don't want to deep dive too quick, but looking at the character of Roman Pierce portrayed by Tyrese, all of his dialogue seemed like it wasn't written. I genuinely feel like when they say they had two scripts for this movie, one with Vin Diesel, one without, the other one, they just replaced every, like, tag for Vin Diesel's character with just new guy and then they just had Tyrese and they're like ah, do whatever just do what comes naturally and you know <laughs> there's a there's a logic gap in the movie mm-hmm. I, I will say because <laughs> Paul uh, this is a small small to give context recap Paul Walker gets caught by the police and the FBI is brought in because of course he was a wanted like LAPD agent so this isn't 
international, not international, interstate mm-hmm. issue. But rather than, like, imprison him, they immediately recruit him to help them nail this other guy. Yeah. And he says, I'm not going to work with your agent. I got a guy. Mm-hmm. And the guy is not a police officer, not an agent. He's a wild card that we meet. He's ramming other people with cars in this weird destruction derby thing. And he's under house arrest. And the FBI agent who who comes back, it's the same actor from the first movie. Oh, Agent, uh, what is it, Filkins or something? Something like that? I can't even pick him out. Agent Bilkins. Agent Bilkins, who is um, uh, immensely better in this movie because they gave him a personality. Yeah, because in in the previous movie, he just kind of leered and loomed. But in this in this movie, he sees all of this. Sees all of like their interaction and, and signs up. Yeah, the FBI is going to endorse this crazy criminal guy. No questions asked. Now, let me tell you, though, uh, there is a bit of a logic gap there, sure. But let me also walk you through the rationale of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and Customs as portrayed in this movie. Please, enlighten me. So, uh, Brian O'Connor is a fugitive cop. He has uh, denied his uh, cop programming and has decided to go on the run, travel across the whole United States... Over a period of two years, winning thousands, tens and tens of thousands of dollars in illegal street races, conducting illegal activity in every state from California to Florida. And he doesn't go there like a direct way. He like goes over, then down to Texas, then over again. A lot of states. So the FBI decides that the first time they hear news of him... Uh, racing, they will send an undercover agent, Monica Fuentes. Played by, wow, that was a blink. Eva Mendez. <laughs> yeah, Eva Mendez. Eva? Eva. 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 Forever? Eva Fuentes. Eva Fuentes. Eva Mendez. I'm sick, guys. Leave me alone. It's Eva Mendez, anyway. So they send Eva uh, Mendez, a customs agent, I believe, to report his activities. And in which flirt case, with him and flirt with him, flirt with him, and then when the FBI catches wind of him, what they do is they send helicopters after him with fictional car killing tridents. Well, hold, hold on, they the first car killing trident was just a ground officer, was it? It wasn't in a helicopter. Oh, great! It was just a dude on the street <laughs> with this weird looking green sided bazooka. Uh huh. That shoots a little claw uh-huh. that kills cars. It kills cars with this cool, like, iPad interface, but apparently every claw has to be in it to a certain percentage to kill the car. Really the weakest part of that movie. But that's what the FBI does. So they catch him like a wild rhino. Uh, and then they decide, hey, now seems like a good idea to recruit him to our cause to catch, uh, what's this guy's name? His name is Cole Hauser. Uh, it's Carter... Oh, that's, yeah, Carter Verone. Carter Verone, a drug-dealing murderer. Yeah, okay. Drug kingpin, right? Yeah, I think so. Because they do say, like, I did nod off a little bit in this movie. They did say uh, (laughs) they were going to catch him with drug money, so he must be a drug kingpin. Yeah. Although there's no instance of him actually having 
done a crime in the movie. He never does a crime. But I just want to say the fact that... He uh, doesn't do any crime the, in the movie. The fact that the FBI decides to catch Paul Walker like a Pokemon yeah. <laughs> probably speaks more to how the FBI is portrayed in this movie than anything else. Yeah, and the FBI is like, it's just that one agent. It's just Bilkins. It's Bilkins and Markham, who's Dexter's dad from Dexter. You're right. There is another guy. I forgot him because he was so terribly written. Yeah. Mar- Bilkins is cool. Markham Markham's a dick. Yeah, Markham's like, I'm the straight edge, and oh, they're running. Surely the, their, their, their device is going in another direction is not indicative at all of what's happening in the situation right now. Yeah. I'm going to assume they're running and try to blow their cover within 24 <laughs> hours of them going undercover. What? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's real dumb. Uh, but something that... I'm a big fan of in this movie. We didn't get a Vin Diesel, and that makes me sad. Well, is it rude or impolite to say we got a black Vin Diesel? <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't necessarily. Yes, think, yes, it is. I yeah. will stop it. Uh, I don't think that that's exactly true because the thing that I really like is Paul Walker's like, "Hey, I need my own guy. Fuck this guy with a Coke." A pizza place Coke, which, weird. Uh, but he goes to a demolition derby in the fucking desert, recruits his childhood friend, Roman Pierce, and Roman Pierce is the entire reason this movie is good. Well, yeah, because you gotta place somebody against white bread yeah. Paul Walker. Because even though he's like, you know, he's a fugitive now, and that gives him sort of an edge... He still just, he smiles. Oh, so much. Hold on, white bread, Paul Walker. Don't you hear all the lingo he's throwing out? I know that the key conceit of this movie is that Paul Walker is not a cop anymore, but he sure goddamn sounds like a cop. Because if you see Paul Walker, Paul Walker, look at him walking around, and he's like, pockets ain't empty, cuz. It's like, shut up. Like, I really... I really hate the way he chose to speak, and I hope that wasn't improvised, because that is linguistically so far outside of his lane, it's it almost felt offensive. There's a great moment that sums up Paul Walker's entire being. It's when, uh, it might be when they're first racing to pick up the cigar from the, uh, the red convertible or whatever. Uh, there's a moment where Paul Walker, like, reverses on the, inter- the the freeway or whatever, driving backwards, and he's, like, flipping off Roman. And he's, but he's, as he's flipping him off, he's chucking <laughs> behind him. Yeah. And it's like, you can't be tough. And it, like... You can't be both. Y- yeah, you can't flip someone off while checking your... You know, look in the rear view. Why are you checking behind you? And he does it twice really quickly in that scene, and it's just like... Oh, God. Like, he's really nervous about doing this stunt. And that's the shot they use. He's really horrified. Uh, yeah, I I think that Roman Pierce is a fantastic character. Uh, that, for whatever we lack in a Vin Diesel, Tyrese's portrayal of Roman Pierce brings every bit of charisma that Vin Diesel could not. He is someone who is, like, ridiculous, violent, funny, and is... He takes himself and the situation around him 
uh, so unseriously, which is such a great juxtaposition to how the first movie I, did everything. I was about to say, like, if you're if you're gonna drop Vin Diesel with his seriousness, with his gravitas, because he does carry gravitas with him, everything is La Familia and all that. Yeah. You gotta go in the complete opposite direction and get somebody with no moral center, mm-hmm. and that's exactly Roman Pierce. Yeah. And to have him play off Paul Walker, who... Is still, let's be honest, finding himself in the world. Yes. He's still, like, he's just out of college is what it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> just out of the academy. And so the, to rub them against each other and see what happens, you get great moments where it's like, holy shit, Roman Pierce has a gun and he's <laughs> shooting at an FBI agent. What the <laughs> hell? Here's the thing. To, to freshen myself up on the plot of this movie, I read a couple plot synopses and something kept coming up, which is why I kept reading them. Every single one purports that Roman Pierce, when he shoots at Markham in the impound lot, yeah. that he's doing it to maintain cover. At no point in the movie does it make it seem like he's doing that as a strategic move. It just seems like he's shooting him because he hates cops. <laughs> I, I, I think people, you can read into it that he's like, if I shoot at the cops, the people with me mm-hmm. won't, not, like, they'll, they'll think I'm not with them. Yeah. But they take off. Yes. So then after that, it's kind of like, you can stop shooting at the cops. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's a movie that doesn't telegraph some things and telegraphs other things like crazy. Oh, yeah. But I mean, plot wise, this thing is so much tighter and more fun than that first movie was. It, it's, the pacing is really weird with it because mm-hmm. We see a lot of travel scenes and a lot of transitions that normally would probably skip past to get to more of the action. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like we've got a lot of downtime in between high-octane set pieces, which I think sums up the series as a whole. I, I just don't think they, they nailed the pacing as, as tightly as they could. Of the two movies, though, you have to admit that compared to the first movie, which had a pacing of, we're going to put... of the action in the first 20% of the movie, and the rest is, like, nothing. Yeah. That's that's something. Also, something that's worth noting, and I think that this is indicative of how Too Fast, Too Furious is different, the racing now has corners. (laughs) That's one of the, another one of the raised stakes. This is an, this whole movie is a movie of raised stakes, but they, yeah, they complicate the races one step by adding turns. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> and now you gotta wait for the straightaways before you hit your NOS, and that only happens toward the end of the race. There really wasn't a lot of NOS in this movie. There was one, maybe two, and it's at the beginning, mm-hmm. with the bridge jump. Yeah. And then the second time is at the, uh, the I guess, relay race. Mm-hmm. For the, the double cars. Yeah, the relay race with the uh, two stooges and the muscle cars. Now, here's a problem I had with the movie, and this might just be my white racism kicking in. Okay. Um, so, there, there are two sets of two stooges in this movie. Uh-huh. There's the two stooges that were auditioning for the Verone job, mm-hmm. and they're the, then there are Verone's two stooges. Yes. I conflated the two. Yeah, it's, it, I was I, like, why are this two stooges waging their cars? That makes no sense. I genuinely forgot what the... I genuinely forgot which Stooges were which for a little while. Hold on, wait. Corona. This 
podcast episode is brought to you by the smooth, refreshing taste of... Cor- get me one. Okay. <laughs> of Corona. Because Corona. I mean, why not? You can have any brew you like. It's always island time in your muscle car. So, uh, yeah, no, I uh, genuinely confused those stooges. Yeah. Because I think that a movie like this, uh, I'm willing to say that uh, this movie went from being a drama espionage movie with the first one, this franchise rather, and it became a uh, an action espionage movie with the second one. And I feel like a movie of that type can sustain at most... Two muscle-bound idiots. Yeah, one pair. One pair of muscle-bound idiots. You can't do multiple pairs because, look, we've only got so much time. Yeah, we we can't learn the backstories of weird shirt, muscle arm, and then more rotund muscle guy. Yeah, and there's not even enough enough time to say names. Yes, I know one of them's named Enrique. (laughs) Really? I think I I did not pick up names. What I'm saying is you have an economy of space in these movies, and so people will, will unfortunately, distill people down to characteristics. Yeah. So, pair of muscle guys becomes their identity. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know now which muscle guys are which, with the privilege of having seen the movie, but I genuinely forgot which ones were, like, Verone's dirty work guys. The ones that didn't lose their cars because they never raced. I also wanted to bring something up real quick. Um, so I noticed that we have a tendency to say... In this franchise, or in this series of movies, or in the Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah, what do we say? Well, what's the nomenclature? So we we mix it up a little bit. I think that we can actually shorten it quite a bit. To what? Now, I know that on this podcast, we're, friend, we're friends <laughs> and fans. We're friends of the phrasing cinematic universe. We are, we are friends of cinematic universes. So I think that if we made an FFCU... Then we refer to the FFCU, and the thing is, no one's gonna, that's all, that's four syllables, so just shorten it to fuck you. <laughs> yeah, the fuck you. Yeah, so I think that in, in the fuck you, this is the point where, uh, these movies, this is what was the most fucking fascinating thing about watching this movie, is you see that this is the movie where the transformation starts to happen, where these movies become the thing that they have become. Which is these massive tentpole action espionage movies that dominate the box office for weeks, if not months, upon release. I, I said it in a, a status update on Facebook. Check out her Facebook, by the way, on like Monday before I got sick. Uh, that if if the Fast and the Furious, the first movie, if that if we consider that the dirt mm-hmm. from which the Fakiu blossoms. Too Fast, Too Furious are the seeds. Yes. Because the Fast and the Furious lays down, like, the moral code that's going to be seen in later movies. Mm-hmm. It's all about the family. You don't cross family. You don't you don't leave family behind. And, and family comes before your other obligations. Like, Brian breaking his cover to make sure that guy gets in a helicopter and it, it lives. Yeah. Like, that's a defining moment of the franchise. Mm-hmm. The seed of Too Fast, Too Furious adds the action part. Mm-hmm. All this, and and where, where this really comes to light is that scene where they drive into the warehouse, and the helicopters are watching them, and then all of the doors come out. Yes, and then just dozens and dozens, tens 
uh, upon tens of street racers just ride it out in their cars to confuse the cops and one of the most organized, like, criminal activities yes. ever portrayed in, in the state of Florida. It, which is impressive, considering the number of criminal activities that are portrayed in the state of Florida. Uh, but I think that that's absolutely the moment where, I mean, this movie made me do something which the first movie did not do, which is I would grin unironically, uncontrollably, because certain things were just a delight to see happen. Like the, that scramble that happened is, is genuinely a moment where I was like, oh, so this is, this is why it becomes that thing. Things like this. Which, if we can step back a little bit from the scramble, uh, it was pretty amazing that that was organized by Tej. Tej. It's T-E-J. It could be Tej. I'm gonna say Tej. <laughs> Do what you want. So it was arranged by Tej. Ludicrous. Ludicrous. Maybe, uh, the, the coolest character in this whole movie. This might be my inability to recognize characters who change their hairstyle. That's the great thing. His hairstyle changes, I think, at least twice during that movie. So he's the guy with the big fro Starts in the with opening, afro. and then he goes to the, the, the goes to cornrows. cornrows. I wanted to think that was the same character, because why on earth would they introduce two characters that were very similar? Mm-hmm. But I did not want to assume that, look, when you write a character, generally they're not going to change much during the movie. I just uh, I just recognized Ludacris's face from afar. From afar? Yes, from a mile away I can recognize a Ludacris. But, you can uh, get closer to your TV. When Ludacris showed up, I was very happy. His character is amazing. A pure distillation of a character in a race movie because he exists to do two things. Organize races regardless of vehicle and to help and pay illegal street racers. Those are his two functions in the entire movie. I, I, I think like <laughs> there's a step they skipped in the fuck you. Mm-hmm. Where they they failed to introduce the concept that people who own garages organize races. <laughs> yes, because it's been true in every case. Both of them. <laughs> Both of them. In every case, it has been true. Uh, but I really like Tedge. I, I think he's a he's a phenomenal character who's fun. When it when they go back to his garage and he's organized an illegal jet ski race, that is his character's thesis statement. I don't care what it is, I'm gonna race it. If it can move forward and people can control it, I'm there and I'm taking bets. Alright, so what I want to do is just do a quick back and forth popcorn style, but like a take turns popcorn style, and we're gonna go through the deleted scenes of vehicles that Tedge uh, would have raced, but ultimately got uh, cut from the movie. So it's 2003, obviously there was a scene where he was yelling over a megaphone over people racing razor scooters. All right, you, you, you got a. He, he wanted to do biplanes, but then he realized there wasn't a way to group a bunch of people around them. Yeah. What else? Oh, that was his race. The, yeah. So uh, another one that was interesting that was cut from the movie, and you know this is for good reason. Uh, so Tedge is a uh, he he's he's a learned man, and he knows that people find interesting people find interest in inversions. So what he did was he got dogs and he would like put them on the backs of humans and make the dogs race the humans. Interesting. Also not seen because it was a little 
they, they set a scene in a grocery store for some reason, and they realized they didn't need it. But he was organizing a race. It was a very uncon- unconventional race. The racers didn't know they were racing. It was two grandmas, and who could get all their items and get to the cash register first? Mm-hmm. And so, and then they realized Rat Race was doing a very similar thing in that movie. So they nixed it. They had to nix it. Yeah. I think Cuba Cooding Jr. <laughs> He visited the set on that day, and he was like, "You know, this is really that makes a lot of sense. Really close to our script. That makes a lot of sense because Cuba Gooding Jr. was in Boys in the Hood, was which he? is John Singleton. So, so yeah, that's why he visited. He was he visiting. He wanted to visit his friend. Look, it makes look, sense. Hollywood history writes itself. And uh, the last one, of course, was ludicrous. He had a megaphone. He was screaming at the sky because he was racing planets around the sun. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. I, I'm I'm really sad that they no one got it. They were like, "Why is this scene of Ludacris just screaming at the night sky, saying go go?" <laughs> and but everyone was still around them and cheering. Yeah, and uh, one of the planets spoke a lot of weird Spanish for no reason. <laughs> That's something that I want to bring up, and, and we we sort of started with with Tej, as mm. you call him. But the cast of characters in this movie, because you're losing Michelle Rodriguez, you're losing uh, Pageant Brewster's little sister. I forget her name. Jordana Brewster. Jordana Brewster. You're losing this these cast of characters that we knew. You're losing Lance. Lance and, and Other Arm. <laughs> yes. And uh, so you got to replace them. And who better to replace those people than what I like to affectionately refer to as the Wacky Racers? <laughs> yes. Uh, so let me, let me run you through the, now there are three main, three mains in the cast of, uh, in the stable that Tej has. So in addition to Brian, who gets called in, in a car that just objectively sucks. <laughs> like when that car shows up, that thing just sucks. And he's got like the, uh, the worst nickname. It's Bullet. Oh, great. Bullet. Oh shit, it's Bullet. Not Silver Bullet, not any other adjective bullet, just the word Bullet. Just a bullet. Now here, now, Brian shows up in a car that just sucks. I groaned when I saw it. However, he shows up to the race and he's greeted by, uh, these three fellows. Number one, Suki. Yeah, who is Devin Aoki in real life. Oh. You know real names. I do. Suki is... How would you describe her character? I would describe her as riding the line of offensive Asian stereotype... Uh, but not really. She's surrounded herself with a lot of trappings of nasty Asian stereotypes, but doesn't really play into her character. Like weird, almost schoolgirl-esque. Almost schoolgirl-esque. With, with deca- like decals, dragon decals all over the car. And then, of course, her computer is a tiny anime character, yeah, it, it characteristic does have, of herself. There is an anime, I forgot about that. That gets mad. Yes. Because it can tell she's losing. <laughs> it's very advanced. Uh, I mean, if nothing else, she should sell that to somebody. And then, of course, we have uh, Orange Julius. Is that... <laughs> so, or- Orange, Orange Julius is... There he is. He's right there. I don't know his actor's name. His name is Amori Nol- Nolasco. So, uh, Orange Julius is a racer who speaks, I want to say, an ambitious amount of Spanish. Because... He does this thing that a lot of Spanish-speaking characters in film do, where he will say something in Spanish and then say the same thing in English, or yeah. say something in English and then say the same thing in Spanish, or just make the two interchangeable. And he speaks generally like a really understandable but 
Strange amount of Spanish. Way too much Spanish. It's Miami. Yeah, but it's, it's, it, I don't think people talk like that. Maybe they don't, but maybe it was like, we're trying to get the Miami vibe in here. We got, we need a little bit of Spanish. I don't know. Look, if you're going to get the Miami vibe in with these racers somehow, it's going to be with fan favorite Slapjack. Slapjack. What's Slapjack's deal? His name's Michael Ely. What is Slapjack's deal? He just wants to be the best, man. Slapjack has no motivation. At least we know with Suki, her desire is to win, have pink cars, and use sexual innuendos. Orange Julius's motivations are to win... Speak Spanish. And he's mad. And he's mad. He is mad. That that might be more of a stereotype. I don't know if there's a mad Cuban stereotype. And then Slapjack, of course. He just wants to win. Does he disappear for the rest of the movie? I don't think we see Slapjack again. I think they failed to mention, if you come in second on that race, you die. (laughs) You you get killed instantly. You get killed. Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, What was I going to say? Oh, no. So, th- these cast of characters, these wacky racers, they introduce a concept that, uh, it- it's a disorder that they all suffer from. And they even, they, it's contagious, apparently, because they even get Roman Pierce later. They all suffer from the con- condition of they think other people can hear them when they speak in their car. <laughs> that is, uh, it absolutely <laughs> happens quite a bit. Um, R- Roman Pierce is very guilty of that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why, and... The the thing okay so like in the first race I get it they have no way to talk to each other they're kind of like talking their thoughts out for the race or whatever but later on Brian and Roman Pierce have walkie talkies a yes. fact that is established in the movie mm-hmm. and yet they still do the thing <laughs> where they're talking to each other and like they're not talking with each other they're mm-hmm. talking at the other person through their cars with like hoping they can hear and it's like. You established you got the walkie-talkies. You used them in front of the guy, so that's not it. Mm-hmm. My What's fa- the deal? My favorite thing uh, is that is established relatively early on that they do talk in their cars at each other. But when, uh, after a lot of stuff happens, this is kind of near the end of the movie, uh, but when Brian is in real trouble with Enrique about to shoot him, it cuts to... Dramatically, maybe, maybe my favorite scene is you never see Roman Pierce, but it cuts to the walkie-talkie in the dashboard, and you hear Roman Pierce screaming, Barstow, baby! And just crashes into the scene, saves Paul Walker, Deus Ex Automobilica. (laughs) And doesn't, when he says Barstow, or whatever he says, doesn't it, like, complete the other guy's sentence? I don't remember if it completes the sentence. But he's like, Barstow, baby. And he Ooh. just, like, busts in, and it's great. That guy bites Paul Walker for no reason. <laughs> Wait, they're fighting over a yeah. gun. You gotta use every I, advantage you got. I would bite. I would bite. Well, this movie... Look. I still think it was a little bit all over the place. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, like, in terms of the first movie versus this movie, I had so much more fun watching this one. Sure, I think that the worst thing you can say about this movie... Have you ever heard of uh, Thunder in Paradise? No, it sounds awful. It really is. I don't want to endorse products with Hulk Hogan in it because he's like an awful racist. I don't know anything about him. Uh, but Hulk Hogan was a short-lived, uh, intelligent, morphing boat 
serial. Wait. In the early 90s, I think, called Thunder in Paradise. In Paradise? I thought you said in Paris. No. Yeah, no, I remember the the transform the car that transformed into a boat. Yeah, it's a car that transforms into a boat, Thunder in Paradise. It's awful. It's really bad. That's kind of what Too Fast, Too Furious is. It has the plot of a very typical kind of Miami vice uh kind of Thunder in Paradise thing where you're like, you have a drug lord, his crimes are unknown, <laughs> you have a sexy lady, you have two guys with a buddy cop dynamic, and oh, they're gonna stop him. You had a crime lord whose major crime is just, he wears white throughout the movie. He wears white throughout the movie, he has you steal cigars, and he's just kind of domineering. Yeah, and you're right, his crimes are unknown, and he pulls no crime in the movie. (laughs) Uh, it's amazing the way that he shot initially when, uh, Ava Mendez says, Carter... Because now we know his name is Carter Verone, and she says Carter, and it cuts to him. The music changes. You instantly get this, like, slight Dutch angle above look. It's like everything to establish this guy is, this guy is a thousand percent evil. Yeah. Even though he never does much that's very evil in the whole movie. Unless I'm drawing a major blank. We might be, but I don't remember him. Yes. Oh. The weirdest scene in the movie. Oh no, the rat thing. The rat torture, which is like, why the hell is this <laughs> a Fast and Furious yeah. movie? Now I guarantee you, the, the detective that they're interrogating, I think his name's Detective Whitman or whatever, he's on... I'm not even He's on Verone's right. payroll. Here's what I know happened. Whitworth. Whitworth, not Whitman. Yeah. Uh, not Walt Whitman. Nope. Uh, Walt no, Whitworth. No leaves of grass, just, uh, leaves of grass. Of rat. <laughs> uh, so the thing that I noticed about that is, I think that there comes a time in every writer's life, and as a writer, you can maybe sympathize. There comes a time in every writer's life where you're just out of ideas. <laughs> and you know one thing. You know one thing, and it is a cursed knowledge. It's a knowledge that haunts every human being. We know for a fact that torturing someone by putting a bucket with a rat in it and heating it up will make the rat bite their way through the human body. Everyone knows this. It's shown up in dozens of TV shows and movies. It Game was of in Thrones. Like, it was it. in Game of Thrones. Like it's the one thing we know is like one of the most inhumane, weird ways to torture somebody. And if you're a writer and you just don't know what to do. Because you know someone has to be tortured, but you're like, I don't want to, like, show any actual torture techniques. Oh, yeah, that would raise the uh, the rating, wouldn't it? it? Actual torture techniques would change the dynamic of that movie completely. Yeah. So they're like, what do we do? We can just have a bucket. If we have someone who can overact and hold a blowtorch, then we have a torture scene. Torture scenes, in from writers' perspectives, are really hard. Because torture in real life is pretty awful, and the kind of torture that you can depict in such a way that it doesn't actually endanger actors is, uh... Limited. Very limited. Like, uh, a, a pretty common thing to do in the, like, early 2000s, and even now, is like, when you're torturing someone, like, waterboard them. Uh, but waterboarding is such a thoroughly unpleasant like, psychologically scarring experience that even if you take every precaution, someone being fake waterboarded can still, like, call shooting for a day and be like, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, no. But, like, if you just put a bucket on some (laughs) dude's stomach and say there's a rat in it, that's an easy torture scene. 
Like, and we, we've seen the removal of finger and toenails so many times. Like, yeah, and that's not going to be in a Fast and the Furious movie. No. That would be too much. And, and like, we're, we're several years away from Casino Royale with the wicker chair. Oh, boy, I wish that one was in more movies. Just kick out a wicker chair and have a big, wet knot of rope. I mean, I, I'm surprised that was in a James Bond movie, to be honest, but that set the tone for the rest of the series. <laughs> really did. And maybe this rat torture... <laughs> Maybe this rat torture is setting up something for Tokyo Drift. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe every Fast and the Furious movie from here on will have increasingly heightened and ludicrous torture scenes. That guy comes back. What's his name? Carter? He comes yeah. back. He's like, the rats are bigger. <laughs> the rats the are... bucket is smaller. Let's go. <laughs> it's just a mason jar with a huge rat. <laughs> this is the one trick I know. <laughs> I, uh, I, I just think it's, it's, very silly, and I think the torture in movies is silly to begin with. I do like that the torture doesn't work. It makes him, it makes him agree, but then he goes against it and calls in the cops anyway. That's right. Yeah, Whitworth is a very interesting character. He's in two scenes. He's in two scenes. We have no idea about his character. We know three things conservatively. One, he's a piece of shit. Yeah, he's so, on the payroll, so he's already a crooked yeah, cop. He's a piece of shit, but also not even he's on the payroll. I mean, look at him. Uh, no, uh, he's, he's played by the guy who plays every... I think he was in The Dark Knight as a crooked cop. That seems right. I think that's his role. He plays the crooked cop. But then number two, we know he has a family. Yeah, he's got a wife and a daughter. Yeah. Number three, we know that even under duress of torture and murder of him and his family, he still wants to do his goddamn job. We know when, like, when he's at rat point, he will still make the call... And the cops dressed like suburban housewives will... F- <laughs> oh, that was silly. That was dumb. No, that was awesome. I I don't know. Like, what? Come on. Here's the thing. One, lady cop. Yeah. Two, lady cop doing only thing, though... Sorry. No. What only a lady cop can do, which is, like, blend in. Yes. You, you got two burly guys sitting in, like, a... I, no, not all cops are burly. You got two cops sitting at a table. You can tell they're cops. But a lady cop dressed like a lady... <laughs> I just want to say, here's what the lady cop did. And if I was Carter Verone, maybe maybe your head's not on much of a swivel when you're, like, an international drug lord. But she took a huge-ass newspaper out, set it on the table, opened it, took the world's largest walkie-talkie out of it, and spoke directly <laughs> into it. That's bad cover. How about when, like... <laughs> They're breaking the wall open, and she, like, jumps five feet <laughs> forward yeah. to be like, they're moving on the trailer, and it's like, you are so conspicuous. I get it. Yeah, you were sitting there, though. Uh, now, of course, Carter Verona obviously has other priorities, because he just sends these two goons to, like, watch Brian and uh, Roman all the time. Which, favorite Roman scene in the movie, probably... Is when they like notice the two muscle guys in the car, and he like starts wiping their windshield uh, and says some kind of racist stuff, which isn't cool. But uh, then he lights it on fire. Yeah, which I thought that was funny. Uh, there's a really funny moment with those muscle guys, uh, Verone's muscle guys. They're driving, and I think they've switched cars at this point. And he's, you know, Brian's dodging all the cops and all that, and the muscle guy with him just turns to him and says, "Hey." You're good at this, man. <laughs> yeah. And there's a beat. There's like a three, four second pause before Brian kind of looks over and goes, 
Thanks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep striving. I I genuinely think now this this might be me like projecting on what I want to have happened in this movie. I I really think so. For a lot of this stuff, not not the majority of it, but Paul Walker does like to do his own driving stunts. Paul Walker is a like was like a recreational race car driver, and he does some of that stuff. And I like to imagine that they just kept the cameras rolling, and they're like. We want to capture this guy's reaction to being in this car during some of these things. And then he's like, hey, you're pretty good at this. <laughs> like, their, their dynamic in that moment is so strange and weirdly romantic. Like, so, like, he has so much admiration for Paul Walker in that moment. And then to flip it and be like, hey, he wants to kill him. It's like, that's a very weird character beat to be like, He's so enamored with his driving that they become friends. Yeah, I, I honestly wanted the guy to be like, yeah, I'm going to take him and, and kill him. And like, you know, they, he says, you know, lose the car or whatever and lose him. Mm-hmm. It's, nobody would know if the guy was like, hey, man, I, I don't want to kill you. So, yeah, just don't be seen again. Take off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I see you again, I'm going to have to. Yeah. But instead he gets... B- <laughs> yeah. I think they kill him. No, they just kick him. Oh. They, I went back to see if that was the first, like, kill. Well, the f- well, okay, kill by them? Kill by them. Kill by them, okay. Because I, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think that anyone has been murdered by the fast crew yet. No, dude. In the first movie. Johnny Tran. Johnny Tran. Johnny Tran gets murdered. Never mind. Uh, but also in this movie, once again raising the stakes, someone just straight up dies in the first maybe 15 to 20 minutes of this movie. And, and, and uh, when they're auditioning? When they're auditioning, and that he, gets, truck? he gets sucked up under the truck. Yeah, no, like, when I saw that, I had to, I, I did like a double take. I was like, wait, has anyone died in this franchise before? For them to so casually show just casually sh- two people dying? Though, hold on, it's upholding a tradition of the franchise that I'm going to keep an eye on. Truck drivers are the deadliest kind of people. So far, truck drivers, they, they, cause I think there was two cars that end up getting like completely like, oh my god, they're, they're probably dead. Yeah, the one who, no question, died got run over by that tractor trailer. So we'll trailer. say, the other one gets like run off the road or something. We'll say one and a half confirmed kills by truck drivers. <laughs> one and a half. So far. One and a half confirmed kills by truck drivers. Very scary. Uh, but the, I, I did make sure that that guy was not killed just because I wanted to... I, I'm trying to make metrics in my head. Now, an interesting metric that I figured out is I actually went back and I did a little bit of research. Oh, shit. Uh, you did more work for this one podcast. I, I did a little bit of reading and also looked through stills of certain scenes of the first Fast and Furious. I just watched the movie once, man. Because there's something that we discussed. We discussed the fact that as we are drinking today, Corona. That's right. The we, Fast and the Furious franchise traditionally. Why do we both grab our glasses? This is not a video podcast. Traditionally, the Fast and the Furious franchise uh, makes about fifteen million dollars for Corona every time a movie comes out. Corona has never paid them for an advertisement. That's interesting. They were just written into the script. But this time, not, no Corona. No Corona. If you go back to the first movie, if you review the number of Coronas, it's about 12, 13. 12, 13 Coronas 12 in the or, movie. 12 or 13 bottles of Corona. Interesting, they never get finished. People will sip a Corona, but a Corona well, has not been finished. 
not been finished up until this point. So you're just going to keep, even though it's a really well-regarded Hollywood secret that, like, you typically don't drink or eat the thing that you're portrayed eating or drinking because of multiple takes. True. But I just want to say, just in terms of pure numbers, first movie, 12, 13-ish Coronas. Second movie, no Coronas. One giant advert, one giant billboard for Pepsi that gets... <laughs> <laughs> knocked into. Yes, so uh, th- apparently the drink of Miami is Pepsi, but the drink of Hollywood is Corona. We'll, we'll have to check it out next time we're in Hollywood in the series. Yes, which will be difficult because I do believe the next one is set in Tokyo. And in the future, according to you. Man, I wonder if they have Coronas in Tokyo in the future. I don't know. See, we're entering the era of... I Entering. This is the second <laughs> movie. We're entering the gap. Of movies I haven't seen. I saw the first one. Yes. I did not see the second one. Mm-hmm. I did not see the third one. My sister took me to Fast 4. I think I've seen 5 and 6. And then I haven't seen You've seven not seen or 7 eight. and 8. Thank God. Uh, so, here's the number of Fast and the Furious movies I've seen. And we've litigated this before. Tokyo Drift. So now... I have <laughs> seen Tokyo Drift. And that is the one we will watch next. And that's the only one I've seen. And I do not remember it. And there's no one... I saw it maybe a year after it hit theaters. As far as I was concerned, like, honestly, I didn't think Tokyo Drift was part of the canon. But one of the characters from Tokyo Drift is introduced into the main series, so we can't skip it. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely want to watch Tokyo Drift, even though it's generally considered the weakest one. Though looking at the reviews of this movie, um, I can't imagine that Tokyo Drift would be reviewed lower. And that's something that I kind of have an issue with, is I don't think that this movie was given a fair shake when it came out. Well, I mean, it has so many things against it. You know, new director, new writers... Novin Diesel. A lot of reviews held the Novin Diesel against it pretty severely. And that might be a thing. Maybe people found Vin Diesel really charismatic in the first one. He is sort of the driving force of that movie. Driving, yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, you kind of got to get over it, reviewers. You you can't... I I honestly think you can't penalize something for something that's not in it, you know? It's not like they promised Vin Diesel and then didn't deliver Vin Diesel. The, Mm -hmm. The... the turbocharged pre-sequel, <laughs> no, prequel, yes. has been diesel in it for a second, and it's pre-recorded footage. Mm-hmm. I, I think the Brian escapades, as I'll refer to that as, really sets this this next installment of the fuck you <laughs> up. Yes. I didn't even try. <laughs> no, that's fine. Sets this next installment of the fuck you uh-huh. up for, uh, for, for being dieselless. Yeah. And I, uh, I really like the idea that, uh, so I've been watching a lot of Avatar The Last Airbender. So no, no, no. Believe me, there's a, there's a point to There's this. a tie-in? So I think if you, if you read anything about Avatar The Last Airbender, typically like characters' arcs through this story are like seen in terms of when they converge and when they diverge. So, uh, I think that calling the very end like the very end of the first Fast and the Furious movie, the the turbocharged prequel to Too Fast, Too Furious, and then Too Fast, Too Furious, part of the Brian escapades, accurate. Yeah, that's like this. This is book one, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like a, it's like a Game of Thrones book. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, also, I just meant how the seasons of uh, 
Avatar broken up. In oh, books. yes, exactly. I was extending your metaphor. Yeah. So next we've got an interlogue. Yes. Of, I don't even know the character's name. Han. And maybe. then we get into book three or two of the diesel era, and that takes us through. Yeah. And I mean, it's important that we have the Brian escapades because he picks up Tyrese along the way. And I hope to God that they got to bring him back. Right? I, I will tell you one thing. I did do some research. I went into past Fast and Furious movies. I am. You looked at the cast list? No. Okay, good. I am very seriously doing a full media blackout on the Fast and the Furious series until this series of Supplemental Rings is over. Yeah. I have no interest in knowing the cast. I know the director, because I looked into that a little bit beforehand. Does it change every time? We'll talk about it next time. Yeah. Because next time an interesting thing happens. Oh, uh, there is no director. The but movie made itself. I, uh, I, I've been doing no research in future movies, and I want to give some predictions. Predictions? Not predictions of plot, because if... The first movie to the second movie or any indication, that's impossible. Okay, so what do you want to limit these predictions to? Are we talking about characters coming back? That. I want to limit to, I want to see these characters in the future. Alright, so, we're, and we're just basing this off the first two movies. Yes. And this will become easier as, as we go As on. we get an established cast. So, so, we don't expect these to show up in three. Uh, I don't think we can expect them to show up in three, given what we know. So four. So four and the mainline fast movie, the mainline series, the mainline entries in the Fakue. I genuinely want Tyrese to remain an element. Okay. And I want Ludacris to remain. So that teach. second one is less likely. Yeah, I don't think Teach is coming back. I just... Ludacris I could see. Not Ludacris <laughs> is Teach. Roman, I can see. Yeah. So Tyrese, I want more Tyrese. I also want Ludacris to return. I have to ask, what are the odds of Eva Mendez coming back? I say hi. Hi. I genuinely think... You don't think she's going to outgrow it in I don't know. the I... decade that it takes for the fourth movie to be made? Oh, that is true. I don't know. Hold on. Can we check when... She was in the spirit. I don't know if you, if you remember that. What was the, what is what the spirit the comic book hero oh, movie the yeah. spirit she plays okay. Sans Serif oh so she probably would not be I'm that's what I'm trying to say I think oh. her, her 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 career her, obviously went up from there went went up yeah. to the spirit which for the record is my all time favorite movie is it. Yes. What about Sky Captain, World of Tomorrow? Never saw it. Maybe if I saw that, I'd like the spirit list. You, you really so don't have to. When was the fourth movie made? Is that what you were going to Yeah, ask? I think Tokyo Drift is 2005 or six. Okay, so I don't have that one because this, this, uh, the, 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 no one lists it with the rest of the series. Okay. I will say the fourth one came out in 2009. Two, holy shit. That's six years after this movie. I will look up Tokyo Drift. Holy shit! The the fourth one almost brings us There's to... There's no such movie as Tokyo Drift. The, okay, but it's called The Fast and the... You can Google it. You don't have to IMDB search it. But How do you spell like, Tokyo? <laughs> that's crazy to me that the fourth movie almost brings us to modernity. 
I mean, that's still nine years ago. I mean, that's almost ten years ago. I don't think uh, we're at maternity. But <laughs> maternity. 2009 sounds like now. Well, yeah, that's because you don't remember that ten years ago was 2008. Tokyo, 2006. Yeah. Oh, so whereas it took two years to come up with Too Fast, Too Furious, they now go on a three-year cycle. And then after that, six years. What? For... No, three years. Oh, You're right. I was gonna be oh like, my god, my brain! Like, does, does it go from 2009 to 2015? No, you're right. How did they make four Fast and the Furious movies in three years? No, that's insane. Uh, no, they go to a three-year development cycle. You are okay. exactly right. Yeah. Um, three years. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, Marvel movies don't do that. They don't. Well, not even. I a, guess not even Assassin's Creed things games are different do that. today. Uh, yeah, I uh. I, I'd, well, we need I, to what I before before I don't even know what you were about. We need to talk about Eva Mendez. Yes, she's the only woman in the movie. <laughs> it's a hyper male movie. It's a hyper male movie. No, no, no. There's two. There's Suki. Oh, I forgot about Suki. Yeah, she's in the movie for like two minutes. You're right. There's so there's two women in the movie. One integral to the plot. One just there to kiss. Brian Walker on the <laughs> on the face every time they see each other. One is integral to the plot. One is there to kiss. Yeah, but uh, Eva Mendes, like, okay, you're a woman in an undercover role, mm-hmm. and you're working for this drug lord who's like claimed you as, as part of his weird like possessiveness. Yeah, and your your loyalties questioned at every single turn. And you finally, like, at the very end of the movie, get the, you know, you're the one with the shotgun. Who, yeah. Who, who's like, you know, she never says you're under arrest, but it's implied. Mm-hmm. Do you then turn the gun on Brian <laughs> and, and, and Roman Pierce for doubting you? Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, they doubted her every step of that movie. They, they did. No one gave her any benefit of the doubt. No one assumed she'd be good at her job. Usually when you're undercover, you have a point of contact. Uh, Why did she not have a point of contact? Because this is apparently how FBI and Customs works in the Fast and the Fu- in the FQ. Uh, is, uh, they send people on these missions, and they in no way check up on them, support them, or know what their motivations could be. Or trust them. But, we know that's not true. In the first movie, Brian has a, a, a schwanky, you know, Calibu mansion that he has to go to check in with his handler. Yeah, he's he's got a handler, and then the FBI guy's like, I'm big and mean. And then everyone's like, no, we're taking care of it. In this movie, however, the FBI is like, uh, ridiculous stooges. Maybe what it is, it's like, oh, we got burned with Brian O'Connor. We're getting rid of the handlers. They're on their own. And if she's like turn, turncoat or whatever, then I, I guess we're fucked. Yeah, they, uh, as soon as they believe that they're sleeping together, they think that that, like, loses all credibility she has as an informant and an undercover How agent. much like men to believe in the man than not the woman? Like, jeez, man. Yeah. I just... She gets a bad rap in this movie, and she I want to stick up for her because she's the one who saves the day. Like, oh, that's another thing. Completely different from gender roles. I really, really have a deep appreciation, tell me if I'm going on too long. No, you're fine. Of the realistic physics of the world. Yes. And that they portray, like, jumping a bridge, your car 
might break. Yes. Jumping, it's bad for your car. It's bad for your car. Jumping a bridge and crashing it into a boat, you're gonna be hurt. Like, yeah, that was very... That's I, so cool! I really like that they crashed onto the yacht. I'm like, oh, so they're gonna, like, storm the yacht. It's like, no, like, uh, Brian has hit his head so bad he's completely out of it. And Tyrese is like, I broke my arm. That, like, that's amazing! Yeah. That's like... Because you don't see that in Die Hard. You, you would see that in Die Hard. Well, you would yeah. not see that in Die Hard 4. Bloody feet, you're right. Die Hard uh, was uh, very much into the idea that we're all human. Yeah, uh, and that's normal. what I meant. That's not what I meant. You wouldn't see that in Terminator. Yeah, you wouldn't see that in Terminator. Like, like that's so... And, like, that's why you need the... A- Eva? Ava? Ava. <laughs> Ava Mendez character. Fluentes. Flu- okay, sure. <laughs> because, like, they couldn't do anything. And, like, oh, they shot him and, like, he's getting back up. And then, boom, she's there. It's great. Yeah, they give her the victory, which is... Well, they don't give her the victory. She, she takes the she victory. She earns the victory. She earns and takes the and victory. And a hyper-masculine... Diesel-fueled, car-focused film, mm-hmm. the victory comes from good, not police work, FBI customs agent knocking a guy out and getting free. I still feel like the movie is troublingly hyper-male and written exclusively from a male perspective, but I like that. I think that's something we keep an eye on. <laughs> See, maybe if that improves. See, if that skews, because we're not only traveling through the fuck you... Mm-hmm. We're traveling through time. Yeah, we're traveling slowly two or three years at a time to modernity where everything is better. <laughs> well, where we're more socially conscious about like how we portray different gender roles. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the first movie, you got Michelle Rodriguez, who, who's known for being sort of like the I'm not going to play the prissy girl mm-hmm. roles, but she doesn't do much in that movie. And I, I want to see. In that movie, women only exist to be problematic or be banged. <laughs> yeah. They only exist for those two reasons. And I, I want to see if, like, they complicate Michelle Rodriguez's role somehow in the upcoming movies. She's not coming back, is she? She See, that's, that's oh, what I don't know. you've seen him. You know. I mean, yeah. I do know, but I don't know for the sake of this... Pu- she's in four. I've seen trailers. I know that she's in them. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. Stop watching trailers. I haven't com. watched them recently. I've watched them over the past years. <laughs> I, no, I know you. You're obsessively YouTubing. I'm just constantly watching trailers. Uh, um, so, I don't know. I feel like I'm proud of us for not totally recapping the plot. I feel like we did a better job. This is super <laughs> not self-serving. Yes. We did not just recap the plot. We actually had a conversation about uh-huh. it. And maybe our listeners who haven't seen it, because I know a few people who haven't seen it are going to listen to this anyway, will be intrigued to either watch or skip it. Yeah, or just, you know, just enjoy the podcast or watch the movie. Here's something. I know that sometimes for a supplementary, at the end, we will... uh we, we we do it less so now. We ditched that model a while we, we ago. We ditched that model a while ago because the idea is we're doing is a supplemental reading. Like it, love it, gotta, gotta have, have it. more of it. I, I don't think it's necessary to review it. Yeah. But here's what I want to do. In the FQ, uh, there are eight films, some short films. And at this point, we've seen three works of art in the FQ. <laughs> now, what I want to do, what yeah. I want to do, and I want to... Hopefully be in agreeance at the end of this. And I know we will diverge, but I, instead of rating it compared to other things, because we know you can't compare art. 
No, I mean, it's like that's like comparing apples to squares. You can't compare apples to squares. One's a shape and one's a square. What you have to do now, assuming that all of these pieces of art are part of something larger, yeah, we fakir. must now rank the fakir. So we have to rank them as they stand right now? As they stand right including now. Including the, the five-minute clip? The three items that we've seen, we must rank them. Now, uh, we just have three, and maybe we'll have a list in the future. <laughs> like a longer list, because there's a lot of And you want things. us to agree on this list. I know we're not gonna. Uh, we might agree on this list today, we but won't. we will diverge eventually. I don't think we're gonna agree on this list today. Okay. Because I think you're gonna rank the second one higher than the first one. Well, we shall see. Alright. Okay, so... I've laid my cards on the table. I keep interrupting you, I'm sorry. We'll start at number three. What do we believe is the worst... The short... <laughs> The worst, let me finish. The worst entry in the Fakiu. It's the stupid prequel short that's dumb. Okay, you're right. Yeah. So it's very badly made, and it's made by a director who directed one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Did you already say what that movie was? War. Oh, with Nicolas Cage. Jet Li and Jason Statham, exactly right. (laughs) Uh, So number two. I guess I was thinking of a different movie. Uh, number two. What do we think the number two? The number two right movie. Right in the middle. Right in the middle, I think is Too Fast, Too Furious. See, I disagree. I think yeah, it's I Fast know. and the Furious. I know. But I have to pay homage to the where it all started, and that's in The Fast and the Furious, and that's at number one so far. So far. Okay. I disagree. Now hear me out. So, folks at home can track it. Uh, do yes. we? Do we absolutely have to agree? No. Because our Star Wars rankings are probably different, too. If we have to agree, let me tell you, this podcast podcast will never end. So we we could do a scoreboard for the folks at home. Yeah, we can do a scoreboard for the folks at home. And uh, so John's picks. Worst. Supercharged prequel to Too Fast, Too Furious. Can we just drop that one? No, it's 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 a film. It's part of the fuck you. It's a film in the fuck you. Second... Fast and the Furious. I think that that movie does not know what it wants to do with itself. It, like, portrays itself as a weird inner city drama, but it's interspersed with inexplicable espionage story stuff. Uh, if it had committed in one way or another to actually being what it wanted to be, I definitely would have liked it more. The pacing is some of the worst pacing I've ever seen in a movie, so much so that I, someone who traditionally has a pretty good memory about movies... Could not fucking tell you what happened in that movie after seeing it two days ago. Uh, the number one, in my opinion, Too Fast, Too Furious. It's not a good movie, but it absolutely decides what it wants to be. It sells you on that. Plus, you end up with a Tyrese, who is thus far my favorite character in the series. Alright, and now it's time for Henry Wheelman and his fast and loose Drive picks. I don't know how to name stuff. Uh huh. And I guess I'm opening a Corona to give. We have to. We have to finish the six pack for all the for all the Coronas they don't finish in the Fakiu. We must finish. <laughs> didn't even, oh, I got you from the first movie. Yeah. I don't know where my bottle cap went, so that's just gonna grow into a beer plant in my couch. Here are my fast and loose 
Drive picks. Yeah, fast loose drive picks. The worst one by far, and this will remain true throughout the entire series. I really feel like I've been fucked over on this because mine was just called John's List. <laughs> Look, whatever. You, you had your chance. Okay, I didn't. Okay. The worst one by far is the, the many sequel, <laughs> the pre-sequel. Please, uh, do it the honor of saying it's I don't know what the fuck it's called. The Turbo Charge. The Turbo Charge. Prequel 2. Prequel 2. Too Fast, Too Furious. Too too Fast, Too Furious okay. is a, it's rotting garbage that is set on fire and the firemen can't put it out because it smells so bad they can't even get close to it with their water. I think that's fair. It's maybe one of the worst short anythings I've ever seen. And we've seen short lots of stuff. Now the second of this list of three is Too Fast, Too Furious. First of all, it's got the number two in it twice. Okay. Uh, second of all, two out of three, not bad. Okay. <laughs> third These of, seem arbitrary. Third of all, you went really in depth, so I'm doing a, I said fast and loose. Third of all. Fair, I didn't, I did not set the parameters out so you can do whatever you want. I, I, third of all, I'm just going to skip to number one, which is the Fast and the Furious big surprise. And I want to, I, I know why I'm, I think this way and you think that way. Mm-hmm. I've seen number four. Yeah. And I've seen where the series ends up one day. Mm-hmm. And that it all hinges on the dirt that is the first movie. Okay. And this, the action scene of Too Fast and Too Furious, I, I do think it's important for the franchise overall in terms of enjoyment. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like what we can take away from these movies, the, the moral code outlined in the first movie is so important. Okay. And so that's why I'm ranking it first right now, and I don't think this list will will stand the test of time. Because there's none of that in the second one. Exactly. Can I make an addendum? You can. I also want to say that uh, I rank Too Fast, Too Furious above the Fast and the Furious, just because it doesn't have the F word in it. Which, I mean, obviously that was a big deciding factor for you putting the Fast and the Furious, you know, the F word. Wait, they didn't say fuck? No, 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 the other F word. Fast? <laughs> Starts with, it's a epithet for gay people. You're right. You know, I keep amending that from my mind. As we get to the better ones, that one will fall for that <laughs> negative con. Hopefully, future movies do not make the same mistake. I was rewatching Monster Squad recently. Oh, is that? That's what? got the word in it. Wolfman's got nards? Wolfman's got nards. It's also got Wolfman's got really problematic language. Jeff Davis was almost in that movie. Really? He was almost Wolfman. The Confederate General? Yeah. Also, no. Jeff B. Davis, B for Brian, he's a comedian. Improv comedian. Oh. You can find him on weeknights on Whose Line Is It Anyway? Oh. On UPN. I don't know what it's called anymore. CW. Hosted by Aisha Tyler. Give me money, Jeff Brian Davis. I don't... If he's an improv comedian, he does not have money to give you. So that's your ranking. That's my ranking. And that's going to change. Yeah. Especially when we get to the movies I haven't seen yet, like Tokyo Drift, which is the next one. You know what's going to be really difficult? What? Uh, now, this list has been easy. Traditionally, whenever I've set out on one of these list journeys with people, the stuff that gets tough is when movies that come out aren't better than the previous one you saw, and you have to pick where they go. Look, it's gonna be easy. Tokyo Drift, probably gonna fall at number one best movie of all time. How have I never seen this before? You know what I really could have done? What could you? 
Uh, I could have said that my list was in order, so I could have put Fast and the Furious at the bottom, Prelude in the middle, and then this one at the top, and never explained my reasoning, and then at the end, I could reveal that I was just putting them in the order that they were released. That's amazing. Really the shame I didn't do that. That's a really a shame. Yeah, I... Fuck. Some... Uh, uh, weird anecdote to to end this episode. Yes. It's going to tie into something I'm going to talk about in six episodes. But somebody, I think it might have been a comedian, posted... Uh, it, it seemingly looked like a tier list of the Star Wars movies. Oh, shit, it was my idea. What it was, was... What it was, was... It was the movies as they came out in chronological order, but it sparked a huge debate amongst the fans saying, like, your list is crap, mm-hmm. you know, going to all the reasons, like, why would you rank that over that or whatever. And I just wanted to bring that up, because Star Wars. Keep thinking about Star Wars. All right. Keep thinking about it. I will keep thinking about Star Wars. And then when we've watched all of them, I will explain in the last five minutes of the last episode we do... Why in this moment I mentioned Star Wars. Uh, plant a seed and watch it grow, and that's easy, Henry, because I never, ever stop thinking about Star Wars. That's great. You know what I never stop thinking about? How I have to do the social media plugs when we do social media readings. Oh, does it really, bo- does it really bother you that much? Every single day of oh, every man. single moment of my life, I'm thinking about how can I get people to engage with us on our social media and I'm like, Henry, you're so dumb. All you have to do is tell people that they need to email us at zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. You can email us anything and we will respond to it either on air or off air. It doesn't matter. We're available 24 hours a day. And to prove that point, you can also, Henry, you dummy, you stupid, just tweet people, I mean, tweet us, at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. And I'm like, Henry, what does that stand for, John? It stands for Zoom, Coom, Poom, Coom, uh, Woom, Hoom, Joom. Exactly. Sounds of race cars. Sounds of race cars. That's the theme of the week. And you know what? I I was talking to a listener the other day, mm. yesterday in fact, and they wanted to know, have we actually ever streamed anything on Twitch? And I said, you know what, it's been a minute, so is it okay if we don't plug Twitch? That's fine. Because honestly, between this and work and planning a wedding, I don't have time. If anything ends up on the VOD, we'll plug it. Yeah, we'll plug it, we'll plug those VODs. But you know what? We are on Facebook, and you can find us by searching Zero Credits Facebook on the Facebook. I guess you shouldn't include Facebook in whatever. I'm moving on. And last but not least, but not last, because it's second to last, penultimate, if you will. I'm doing flow of consciousness, stream of consciousness, doesn't matter. Stop editing yourself. We're on iTunes, and that's a big deal. Like... Podcasts thrive through iTunes, so we need you to log into your Apple ID account. And I know that's this is a big ask, because anytime you have to log in, it's like, oh, what's my password? you got to go through this whole thing. But if we could get everyone to do that and just leave us a review and a rating, it would do so much for everything we're trying to do. We're trying to build an empire here, and we just need the bricks. And those reviews and those stars are the bricks. Give us the bricks. 
And then lastly, most importantly, it's how we survive, thrive, and live. Word of the mouth is the biggest thing you can do with your day. Who can't pay bills? <laughs> Government? Who? <laughs> no, tell a friend, tell a car, tell your mom that you'll love her. And then tell them all to listen to Zero Credits, a show where we talk about things. And then you will have told a car, you idiot. <laughs> How dumb are you? Hey, look, if you tell a car, then uh, it will carry the word faster than a human being can. Oh, I have never thought of fast words of mouth. Yeah, if you tell a car, then uh, it's you probably, you know, you can skip all the uh, that other stuff. Uh, just tell cars. Just walk up to cars in the parking lot, say, hey, have you listened to Zero Credits? And you know what that car will say? What? I'll make a car noise. I'll <laughs> make a car noise. That's yeah. great. I was making a whoop so you'd, uh, you'd add a car noise later. Uh, I'm not gonna. <laughs> so from everyone here at the Zero Credit Studio Garage, we want to wish you a happy week and ejecto cito, cuz. That was, that was the quote. Really such a fucking bad line. The fact that there were ejector seats at all in this movie is a testament of why it's at number two. You know, it's amazing because we never talked about it. I know. <laughs> <laughs>